You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. There's nothing better than feeling comfortable in your own shoes. And that doesn't mean flopping down on the couch with bunny slippers. Maybe you're a parent raising a little rock star. Or a tech nomad working from anywhere and jumping from one thing to the next. Whoever you are, Allbirds wants you to be comfortable in your actual shoes, too. Their wool runners, pipers, and loungers are designed for a level of coziness that makes you feel like you can do anything. You might even forget you're wearing them. And their shoes are so stylish, they go perfectly with a wear-whatever-I-want attitude. Allbirds is all about loving Mother Nature, too, because no one wants to leave a bad footprint. Each shoe is carefully crafted from natural materials that tread lightly on our planet. From ZQ-certified merino wool to a bouncy midsole made from sweet foam, the world's first carbon-negative EVA material made from sugarcane. So get comfortable in your shoes. Get to know the wool runners, pipers, and loungers at allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Hello and welcome to Unexplained Extra, or this special edition of Unexplained Extra, I should say, with me, Richard McLean-Smith. So this week, as you may be aware... I announced that I would do a a one-off sort of question and answer uh, episode to coincide with the the upcoming release of the book, Unexplained. In light of that announcement, I had a number of people asking me um, what were the books that had inspired me or the show. So I just thought, um, rather than putting up a list on social media, why not just talk about them? And I've been overwhelmed with the response. Um, So thank you all so much for getting in touch and giving me your questions. I've managed to condense it down to about 15 or so, I think. Apologies if I haven't included yours on the show. So just a couple of quick, easy ones to start off with. A few people had asked me about the music. So the music in the show, I composed that myself and you can hear quite a large part of it on the Unexplained SoundCloud So if you wanted to hear that, you could go to soundcloud.com forward slash unexplained podcast, I think is the address, and you can find it there. And the other question that quite a few of you were asking was, is the book going to be an audiobook? 
as well? And will I be narrating it? And the answer to that is yes, uh, I will be. And so at the moment, the book is due out in the UK, October the 25th. um, And we are sort of talking about getting it distributed in the US and Canada as well. So I think just watch this space on that one. So let's begin. I had quite a few questions in a similar vein to this one. So I'll just take one, which is from Conan, who asks, have you ever had a personal supernatural experience? So the short answer to that is no. Uh, But something that I might talk about in more depth later on in another question um, is that I suppose you could also say that maybe I have, but I wasn't aware that it was supernatural. Um, But I think what what I do find fascinating, though, is that I, I have heard from lots of people and from people that I would consider to be perfectly rational and intelligent people who claim that they have seen things that um, I might have previously dismissed. So I suppose that just leaves me wondering what it was exactly that, that was seen or what was experienced. So next one is from Lee Britton. Have you had an opportunity to meet with anyone directly involved with any of the events that you've mentioned? If so, who was the most convincing? I have actually. I've not... Um, I haven't in person. I have over the phone or on Skype or email. Um, I've spoken to people that have been at the centre of some of these stories. And um, I mean, they've all been convincing. I mean, and, and in fact, the, the sort of thread that runs through them all really was that none of them were um, absolutely convinced that what had been experienced was supernatural or paranormal. But I'd say they had an interest in that as a as a potential or a possibility in the main, I guess, I don't think they were making up what they think they experienced, if that makes sense. So the next question, again, this is one that I had quite a few questions in a sort of, uh, that were similar in one way or another. Um, so let's just take Steve. Steve asks, of all the podcasts you have researched, which have you found the most disturbing and which is the most scariest? Hmm. So this is a difficult one. The ones that were disturbing and scary, I think... I would have to say, are the ones that involved the most sort of traumatic outcomes or events. So a lot of the time, I mean, a lot of the time, these stories, as as terrifying as they might be, they don't, um, you know, they don't result in somebody dying or being killed. And except for one, um, which I told in the first season, which was about, you might know, it's called Demons in Suburbia, which was a story about a man called Michael Taylor, who had quite tragically and traumatically been affected in one way or another by a uh, an exorcism that was practiced on him and the consequence of that was that uh, that he murdered his wife in uh, quite horrific circumstances so I don't have much more to say on that because I don't I'm not so familiar with the case and life of Michael Taylor that I would be able to comment possibly about the reasons and whys and wherefores of what happened but that was certainly the one that I I think as a story alone was the most disturbing. Okay, so not particularly related to the last few questions, but let's do the first book anyhow. So this book's been a huge influence on me, I think not just for the the show, not for the way I write or um, or the way I certainly would like to write or aspire to write. Um, It's a book that was recommended to me quite a while ago as a sort of, it was recommended as a travel book, but I think the intention wasn't to reduce it in such a way, but that's how I remember it anyhow. And so when I read it, it it opened up into so many other things that I hadn't been expecting. So the book is called The Rings of Saturn. Uh, It's by W.G. Sibold. Superficially, the book 
presents as an account of uh, one man's journey through Suffolk, the Suffolk coast, uh, particularly in East Anglia in the United Kingdom. Um, but quite quickly, it becomes apparent that there's, there's, there's quite a bit more going on. So you find yourself being taken on this extraordinary, um, very melancholic journey into the, the workings of Sibold's mind. I think the way he he sort of touches upon the things that the landscape inspires in him and in his sort of ruminations uh, and his thoughts as he's as he's making this journey and um from that you get sort of taken on this uh, extraordinary um sort of epic trip through lots of different waypoints and connections that are being triggered as he as he's making his way um through the countryside and it's become quite a sort of major touchstone i think of uh modern psychogeographic writing so i mean i i'm sure there are lots of different opinions on this out there as, as to the um you know the quality of it in compare in comparison to other books but i would say that it's certainly become one of the better known um sort of examples of this uh sort of writing um just the expanse of information alone that throughout the book is quite extraordinary it's a sort of domino effect it's a, he has a sort of way of exploding information from one thing connecting from one thing to the next and actually a very sort of brief Note, I would say at one point he talks about Joseph Conrad being in Lowestoft, I think, and um, he draws a connection there between that as the beginning of uh, a journey that that's end point was um, essentially the horrors of colonialism. And um, so another book I would say, just sort of very briefly recommend, uh, that has been quite a big inspiration on me, and in some ways unexplained, is Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. And so with this book, I think what I've drawn from it in terms of unexplained is just a sort of the sense of um, the horror of humanity, really, and what what human beings are capable of. And and I'm not quite sure this is explored in the book, but the the sort of idea that that human beings don't perpetrate evil acts, that there's no such thing as evil in that respect. I mean that humanity is 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 all of it. So for me personally, I don't think there's a moral arbiter that dictates what is and what isn't evil. There's no, you know, nobody is, is making that judgment on our behalf. We do that ourselves. Of course, we, we can, as a society, decide together which things we determine to be uh, wrong or bad or unpalatable or criminal. And as a sort of slight extension to that point, I think the certainly the kind of setting and the locations and, and many of the things that are occurring in Heart of Darkness are based on true stories and true things that happened and I think the sort of ultimate the true horror really is that and I think I tend to find this quite often is that the the reality of the stories if you, if you read the actual stories about um, what took place under King Leopold II of Belgium who was sort of spearheading this colonial campaign the fact is you find that that it's almost impossible to to come up with the reality of the, the terrible things that were happened, you know, that the, the real story is even worse. So uh, let's try and come back a bit from that because I think, uh, I don't know, I can take that any any darker. So let's uh, get back to questions, I think. Um, you're starting to get a sense now of where Unexplained comes from. Um, so is a message from Elizabeth. So what determines what catches your interest? Is it mostly what intrigues you or more about how easy you find to communicate the story? Well, I think... What catches my interest first and foremost, especially because of the the nature of the show and it being you know based on ideas that are unexplained and remain to this day unexplained um the key thing is is 
having a story that's not too easy to debunk, I suppose, or having a story that's not um, that doesn't present itself too obviously as being uh, a hoax. So I suppose the best stories for me are the ones that sort of really stretch that um, suspension of disbelief as as far as possible. So sometimes I find that that will supersede whether I personally am into that kind of story. And as well, a lot of the time I find that digging a bit deeper into the story, it will sort of reveal itself to be actually more interesting and more fascinating than I had first um, imagined. Okay, I've got quite a few questions here about um, how I got involved in doing this and what I was before unexplained and all that sort of stuff. So without giving too much away, uh, I don't want to destroy the illusion completely, but I I have, I think, for quite some time been trying to write and, um, you know, get somewhere doing that. And it's a case really of just discovering an outlet where I could write something and it actually becomes something. A lot of the time, you know, if you're writing any form of writing, really, you're trying to get through some kind of gateway uh uh, to get into something that le- legitimizes what you're doing and also gets what you're doing out there. So whether it's to be published or to have an article printed in a magazine or to have a TV show commissioned or something like that, you know, if, you, if you're very if you're very lucky. And so those things take time and they they take a lot of effort and they require you to be you're at the whim of somebody else's taste. And I think so. Unexplained really started as a combination of having that. Um, ambition but also the fascination with these stories and and not being quite sure what to do with them and then discovering the podcast and what the podcast was and is uh you know i think that's something we're a lot more familiar with now but a few years ago you know it, it sort of i didn't really understand it in the way that i do now and um i could craft it myself and put it up myself and all that sort of stuff um the show was kind of born and it and it evolved a bit in the process of of you know understanding what a podcast can be and all that sort of stuff and and I've been com- completely overwhelmed by the fact that that anybody listened to it at all so I mean it, this is a great chance to thank you all again anybody who listens to the show has supported the show for the incredible kind words and you know and the encouragement that uh, I've been given uh yeah it's been extraordinary and just to finish that point off um Ruhao asks um or Ruhau says, I'm presuming you do it all in a dark wood-panelled book-lined room, sitting in a leather armchair with a pipe and a bottle of single malt. And the answer is yes, of course. That's exactly how I do it. Um, Ru also asks, is the cover picture a reference to Twin Peaks? Um, I think in many ways you could probably say everything I do is a reference to Twin Peaks. So although that wasn't, actually wasn't thinking of Twin Peaks when I chose it, but yes, of course, I mean, subconsciously, absolutely, it's probably where I've I found that uh, I've got that idea from. So uh, Christopher asks, my question is, do you have trouble sleeping at night or going about your daily life having made podcasts on such otherworldly material? So I would say, yes. So yes, I do. I, I do because I am always thinking about the story or the next story. And uh, invariably because of the subject matter, yeah, it becomes, um, it's very easy for your imagination to uh, run wild. So on that note, and I think this is a more seamless transition to the next book. So the next book that has inspired me and Unexplained is actually a collection of stories, uh, but primarily the one called Don't Look Now, which I'm sure many of you will be familiar with, the Daphne du Maurier um, short story, which was later 
made into a brilliant film by Nicholas Rogue. And um, so this really inspires me. And there's another book as well I will talk about uh, sort of in tandem with this one, which is Joan Lindsay's uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. So there are lots of reasons why I love both these books, but um, I suppose we should we could start with tone. So uh, this is something I think I've probably quite deliberately in one way or another um, tried to replicate in Unexplained, which is to create the idea or the sort of sense of a world that's familiar and real and genuine um, and kind of um, scrutable, but then have this air of of something else, the possibility of something else, something more enigmatic and and uh, and sort of intangible and you know magical in a way. I think um, you know whether that be spooky or, or terrifying magic or not. And I think more than any other book that I've certainly read, uh, these these both these stories do that in, in incredible ways. And I think Picnic at Hanging Rock is is probably more enigmatic since it's um, so essentially. If you're not familiar with the story, it's a, it was set, I think, in 1900, or is it on Valentine's Day in 1900? Some girls from a school are taken on a trip through the outback in Australia, in Victoria, I think, in the state of Victoria in Australia, to a uh, this sort of strange um, natural landmark um, known as Hanging Rock, which I've actually been to, and it, and it is just as um, ex- sort of special as, as it's sort of portrayed in the book. But um, so anyway a couple of these schoolgirls go missing and as well as their teacher, I think I might have that wrong, but they go missing and there's no explanation. And I, I can't tell you much more. I don't want to give anything away, but um, it's incredibly mysterious, um, beautifully portrayed story and it's very sort of hypnotic. That of course goes into all sorts of other things about sort of adolescent awakening and, and, and all sorts of things like that. So, um, thoroughly recommended anyway um, whether you like ghost stories or not it's not actually um, imperative to enjoying the story so we don't look now it's a sort of similar thing but uh, I think there's more of the sort of supernatural paranormal um, stuff going on which is particularly compelling because it's done in this way where it, it's not sort of hysterical and, and and so strange that it's off-putting or distracting it's sort of Dr Maurier and sort of merges them into the world that we think we know in such a way that um I don't think has been, I don't think has been bettered actually. So yeah, read those books. So back to the questions. Uh, I had a couple quite similar from Malcolm and um, Tom who ask, do you have your own conclusions to the stories you research? And Tom asks, are there any that you truly believe have answers that lie beyond known science? So these are good questions actually in relation to the nature of the show and um, you know my kind of thinking behind putting it together and and that really is that I know this might sound strange but I don't um going back to Malcolm's question do I have my own conclusions to the stories I actually don't dwell on that too much I think what makes them interesting is that they that they are these sort of open mysteries and unanswered questions that then in turn invite new questions and you know I think we're when you allow these stories to to just sort of be rather than try and interrogate them too much I think that is where they they sort of come most alive and and provoke the most sort of interesting discussion. And I think this is something I've tried to do as well that I hope comes across, which is that it's not, that doesn't mean that the story has to be the ghost wasn't real or it wasn't really a poltergeist or whatever. And that that's the end of the story. You know, that if you were to 
that if we were able to conclude once and for all that, no, this didn't happen and this is actually what happened, and you have that sort of full fact um, laid out in front of you, I think even if that were the case, I don't think that would be the end of the story. Um, I often say that I think even if it were to be proven once and for all that, that God didn't exist, I think people would still believe in it or believe in her or him or however way you hold the divine. And I think that in itself is sort of equally as fascinating as to whether there's a definitive answer or not. It kind of draws me on to um, my next question, which is from M, who talks about how um, I use, sometimes use the mysterious and the 14 as a lens to explore deeper historical and sociological themes. And is there any other literature that you are drawing on that specifically looks into the sociology of fear about the mysterious and the paranormal? So I don't specifically, but that would be certainly be a very interesting thing to to look at, I, how people's fears were maybe not manipulated, but um, were sort of concentrated around specific ideas of the time or things that have happened in the time. And certainly today you can see the ways in which people's fears are stoked and manipulated by the media and... So one very good documentary you can watch all about that is called The Power of Nightmares by Adam Curtis, so, um, which I thoroughly recommend if you want to learn a bit more about that. So the next book is Straw Dogs by the philosopher John Gray. Um, not the same John Gray who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, a very different John Gray, and not the film. This is not the film Straw Dogs. So this is a, um, a, a, an entire thing on its own, um, Straw Dogs by John Gray and the subtitle is Thoughts on Humans and Other Animals. And I think when I read this book, it was the first time I sort of really started to understand and look a bit more broadly on the human race and what it is to be human and, and sort of picking apart the delusion that we have about who we are and our sort of deluded sense of separateness from the natural world and um, the way we sort of position ourselves apart from other animals. In fact, frequently you will often hear people say, talk about humans and animals, almost as if we're not part of that group. So it goes into, I mean, it, it, there's a, a lot more, way more than I can sort of expound on here, but um, I would, yes, just thoroughly recommend it. Uh, it's well worth reading. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's a complicated point about um, whether we need to be more aware of of the damage we do because of the of the delusions that we have as human beings, I mean, you, you could also argue that, that that instead of being deluded, that is also a natural sort of form of existence in a way. But um, it certainly doesn't hurt to kind of uh, think more broadly about about that and and what that means and and what that means for the way that we think of ourselves and think of others as well. So next question is from Daniel. What advice would you give to other creative types who want to create cool stuff like you? Well, thank you, first of all, for calling Unexplained Cool. That's very kind. Um, but also I would just say as well that I think everybody is uh, creative. Everybody is a creative type. Um, we all in, in our own ways can be creative or find ways to be creative. But um, but that being said, of course, I think I know what you mean. So I would say... Um, I mean, obviously, it depends on what it is you're trying to create. But if we're talking about writing, for example, and um, of course, Unexplained is a podcast, but really what it's based on is is writing and storytelling and having a sense of um, how to engage an audience. I don't know to what degree I'm especially successful at doing that or not, but 
I think if I've learned anything, really, it's understanding structure and the structure of storytelling. And I think when I was starting out, when I was much younger, uh, and I had ambitions of writing and aspirations of doing all sorts of things um, with that, um, I didn't really understand why it was important in the way that I do now, um, which is really that it's not that you need to follow rules and you need to kind of um, adopt certain techniques. It's just more that having an understanding of them is it gives you such a head start in terms of approaching a blank page, which is, as most people who write, I imagine, will tell you, is the kind of the worst bit is that initial getting something down and having something to work with. And so I think just understanding structure and um, how to tell a story and, and reading up on that sort of thing can be really, really beneficial. And of course, once you know it and you understand why certain things work the way they do, then you can play around with it and you can you can dismiss it out of hand. I think, that, I mean, that's basically the point is that it's better to know something and ignore it than to not be aware of it. I think in this sense, not always the case, absolutely not always the case, but um, from my experience anyway, I think that has been helpful. And to that end, uh, I will recommend a couple of books that uh, I think as a writer have really helped me. So one is Wired for Story by Lisa Cron which is really just um, an introduction into how to kind of hook a reader into your story. And um, it's just very sort of clear. It's very very clear and easy to read. And again, it's things you can sort of take or discard at your own sort of discretion. Um, and in a similar vein, uh, another book I that I found quite useful was Writing the TV Drama Series by Pamela Douglas. And as you can tell from the title, obviously this is specifically for TV drama, but I think the a lot of the same rules apply to whatever kind of narrative um, writing you are trying to do. That's what you're trying to do. And lastly, just quickly, another book that I've that really helped me um, starting out was a book called How to Write a Novel by the author John Brain, who um, is most well known for a book he wrote called uh, Room at the Top. And so the Again, it's, you might not be wanting to write a novel specifically, but it it's just has a lot of kind of really great lessons and ideas about how to get started and how to really just start tackling the thing that you're trying to do. And it and it is a big, you know, writing anything is is difficult. So it mainly requires practice and um, and the other thing, of course, is just reading and watching and listening to as much as you can and sort of taking that in and trying to absorb it. So on to the next questions. So Samantha asks, do you believe in the existence of beings not in our realm? In light of your extensive research over the past years and putting together Unexplained Podcast and your new book, have you been swayed one way or another in this belief? So I think this goes back a little bit to the earlier questions about what I, th- what conclusions I've drawn myself from some of these stories. And um, I think the key word here is believe. So you know, it's something that comes up particularly with supernatural and paranormal and, and um, you know, just stories in general of that kind, which is the sort of notion of belief and what you believe in and what you believe is possible. So I think for me, the there was a quote, and I can't remember who says it, who said it rather, um, what, it was to do with having seen a, a particular supposed paranormal event and in res- their response was that I didn't say it was possible, I said it happened. And I think that's really the approach I take to the stories, which is that I have no reason to disbelieve the anecdotal evidence that is being presented. So I, I take it at face value and, and you know, that m- might be silly or gullible or ignorant. But the point is really that 
is to display the things as they occurred or as we're sort of led to believe they occurred without interrogating that too much. But going back to the question, so about belief, well, really, the thing is that I don't think I have seen or come across anything that was that would convince me of uh, a paranormal or supernatural um, thing being real, actually having taken place. But, you know, equally haven't seen anything that would that, that can say once and for all that it hasn't either. So within that, you know, I don't, I couldn't possibly commit something being real until there was there was evidence enough for that to be a certainty. And of course, the thing is, in 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 actual life, the things that we consider to be real and absolutely true, um, you know, it's rare to find that sort of certainty too. If you you know, if you start interrogating things, you get start to get a bit closer and down and dirty with things. You find that the things that we do think are true and real aren't in fact as true and real as we might think they are, which is also, I think, a big sort of theme of the show. So Jeff asks, were there any potential episodes that you nixed because the subject matter creeped you out too much? So no, absolutely not. I think um, the creepier the better, I would say. Which brings me to my next book recommendation, or rather book that has inspired Unexplained. So this is a writer that will be familiar to many people who listen to the show. Um, This is H.P. Lovecraft. Lovecraft is a complicated writer to sort of admire, um, ostensibly because I think it's quite well documented that he was um, he was quite racist, and his uh, he had a sort of fear of uh, I think well he was anti-Semitic and also. but had a particularly repugnant sort of attitude towards anybody who wasn't white, and I think primarily to Americans who were black. So why that becomes particularly complicated in terms of his stories is that that fear that he had of this otherness, of what he perceived to be this otherness, um, as what I would say as ignorant and um, appalling as that was, that it was that fear that he used that, that was obviously very visceral to him that was then sort of imbued in the text and the language that he used in his sort of horror stories. So in many ways, the reason why they're so compelling is because that fear was so real to him. Um, And so, of course, that makes it incredibly odd and complicated and strange when you're reading these stories, sort of knowing that 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 fear is the foundation on which these stories are are built and constructed. Um, You know, that is a complicated thing that is a complicated thing to kind of hold that at the same time but it, but separating the story from that what remains are incredibly gripping horrifying stories and they're and they're particularly horrifying because they you can sort of feel that sense of of terror personally i find it, some of his writing quite dense and um it can feel sometimes a bit of a trawl to get through but um always within it there's this sort of extraordinary imagination of uh, of other worlds that are created and, and and what i find most compelling about it is that the that unlike lots of other stories of this kind of ilk where you're encouraged ultimately to think that there was some kind of psychological catalyst that was provoking these stories but with lovecraft a lot of the time it's actually you know you're you're invited to think that the horror is real it's not imaginary that these creatures uh, you know are existing in their own um, sort of autonomous way, um, whether they be in another realm or under the sea, sort of subterranean um, things. And so that I, f- I find that particularly um, compelling. I mean, the book I have uh, in front of me at the moment is a collection of his stories. Uh, this is Lovecraft, The Call of Cthulhu or Cthulhu, um, a few different ideas on how to say that, um, and other weird stories. And 
if I had to pick one uh, for any of you who hadn't who haven't read him before, um, um, let's go for the Shadow over Innsmouth. This is actually one of his uh, longer stories, but um, plot-wise and the revelation that you will discover on reading it, um, I think it's it's certainly, for me anyway, it's one of his best. We'll wrap this up with a couple more questions. Um, Andrew asks, uh, he says there's probably a lot of people asking this, but actually you are the only one, so uh, thank you. It's a good question. Um, if you could know the definitive answer to just one unexplained mystery, what would it be and why? So again, going back to the previous questions, um, I don't feel the need necessarily to know the answer, but I think the one I would most like to know would be the um, the lightkeepers, the lighthouse keepers rather, from I think episode eight of the first season, which was called When the Light Fades. I think as some other people have asked me what, what was my own personal favourite, I think that for me is my favourite one um, so far. And the reason why I'd like to know that is because I think anything in it that involves, um, you know, missing people, missing individuals, I think um, there's something inherently and obviously terribly tragic about that for anyone that's been left behind. And not knowing what has happened to a loved one that has disappeared, I think, is, is um, you know, in some ways almost more horrific than um, than finding out that they might have been killed. Uh, so Dietmar asks... What is the appeal of the unexplained in general for you, especially? Is it even a good idea to concern oneself with stuff like that? Wouldn't it be healthier not to do that? Well, so I, I know where you're coming from in terms of, you know, I think if, if you if you're someone who might dismiss all these stories out of hand, then it seems a bit a bit of a nonsense to even kind of um, give them the light of day or uh, or the the darkness of night, as it were, or um, you know, to give them any sort of sense of, of credibility whatsoever. And I think. Again, I think that, and maybe going back to something I said earlier, I think that attitude has its own ignorance in a way. I think everything can have a potential worth. You know, I don't, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be that that we commit to the supernatural or paranormal explanation. Um, but I think all these stories have something in them, you know, certainly from a human perspective. There are elements, there are lots of things within these stories that can throw up all sorts of questions and ideas and things that go way sort of above and beyond and transcend the basic kind of question of whether these things really happened or what the actual explanation was and whether that explanation is something beyond what we currently know or are aware of as as being possible in our world or our reality which sort of brings me to my next book recommendation which is Ways of Seeing by John Berger. John Berger was a uh, I think primarily or professionally his sort of title, I suppose, was art critic, but he was he's much more than that. And he's written on lots of different subjects, but I think Ways of Seeing is probably what he was best known for. So this book, funnily enough, I won this when I was about nine or ten years old. Um, I think I did. I'm, I'm a bit hazy on this, but I think I won this um, uh, when I took part in something called the Spaghetti Bridge Building Competition, which um, is exactly as it sounds when I was at school. Um, I think our class got put forward for this and um, the team I was in, myself and two others, we came third uh, in a national competition. So I was very proud of myself. Um, but I think really it might have had something to do with the fact that, that one of my team members' dads was an architect and I think he might have helped uh, plan the bridge. Anyway, we came third and one of the things uh, I won as a sort of nine or ten year old was this, was this book, Ways of Seeing by John Berger, which I was far too young to appreciate at the time. 
I don't think I even read this till late teens, early 20s, but I'm glad I did because basically, um, and there's a bit of a bit of a theme here, I suppose, developing with Unexplained in general, which is that what the book is really trying to teach you is that there are different ways to see the world, that there are many different perspectives. Um, and I think it's something that's become just in mainstream everyday kind of conversation I think it's something we're becoming more aware of now and are interrogating more and more um, this idea that there's there's not one way to hold the world or that there's no you know there's not one version of history there's not one version of the truth um, I think more kind of potently and so yeah this is a book really that's that um, kind of establishes that in in a very sort of simplistic and powerful way and you know by looking at art specifically and the ways in which we as individuals uh, can sort of interpret the same piece of work in different ways, um, but also how the way that work is or art is interpreted um, differently throughout the years. So, for example, anybody looking at a painting that was that was made, you know, four hundred years ago is not going to have the same context that you might have had had you looked at it uh, when it was first painted. Um, and so, the effect of that piece of art is kind of distorted in some way so the effect of that painting that piece of art um, that it has on the viewer is is changed by not only the sort of context of the time that it's being observed but also by what the viewer brings to the observation so um, I think there's a quote I can't remember again I I think it was Freud or I don't know this for sure but who said something like you cannot analyze something without taking into account the mechanism through which it is observed and I think it plays again into this sort of whole notion that um, you might hear sometimes people say sort of consciousness makes up the world Uh, you know I don't know the degree to which that might be true um, absolutely but I think you know there is an element of truth in that certainly that that a lot of the time when you what you're seeing in the world and the way that you respond to the world is not because of the truth of what that world is but how you interpret that so in that way, you kind of are making up the world, you know, for better or worse, you are kind of constructing the world in your head as much as the information from that world is being fed to you, if that makes sense. So uh, just time for one final question, which is from Peter and Morgan, uh, who ask, um, both of us are still dying to know why there is such an unexplained ghostly gap between McLean Smith in the phrase Richard McLean Smith. Um, it is a very good question. Um, <laughs> I think it just came out like that and I've sort of felt I had to stick to it ever since, but it's now kind of taken on a life of its own where even if I, if I try to close the gap, it feels like I'm uh, sort of dishonouring the the original version in some way. So I've tried to keep it quite consistent. I've also joked about how I think uh, I should get a T-shirt made which just says, Richard McLean on the front and then Smith on the back. I don't know if I'm quite uh, narcissistic enough to do it. Uh, We'll see. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you even more for sending in your questions and for all your interest that you've shown in the show. Again, I can't thank you enough uh, for all the support and kind words. And I hope you enjoy it going forward. Um, As I mentioned before, I will put the list of books up on social media so um, Twitter Facebook and I'll probably add a few more in there that I didn't think I had time to talk about um, this time around very very difficult trying to compile a small list of books 
There have been so many that have inspired me and also films and TV shows that have inspired me immensely and music too. So maybe there are more lists to be made at a later date. Anyway, that's, yeah, I think that's it for now. Um, Once again, the book will be out on October 25th and I'm actually going to be doing some live speaking events, um, which I'll be putting up on my website soon if anyone's interested in coming along to that. Thank you very much again for listening to the show. Um, I will be back next Tuesday with episode eight of season three. So until then. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise. Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.